Billie Eilish gives us an existential crisis with her new album. The baby says homophobic remarks on stage in the year of our Lord 2021. And does a dream job even exist? We're Maggie and Jasmine, and you're listening to Culture Club, our weekly chat about pop culture, current affairs, the internet, and our lives. And we're so stoked to say that this episode of Culture Club is sponsored by Celebration Nation, a hilarious Aussie web series about the woes, friendships, and mess of retail life. You can watch this inclusive, fun, homegrown show on YouTube now. We acknowledge that the Wurundjeri and Boon people are the traditional custodians of the land upon which we live, work, and record this podcast. We would like to pay our respects to Elders past, present, and emerging. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Fancy seeing you again. Oh my god, it hasn't even been four hours since our last little eye contact moment, <laughs> which is what normal people call a hangout. <laughs> and it wasn't even through a screen. We actually saw each other in the flesh after you've been in Sydney and isolation and we've had another lockdown. I think we saw each other just over a month ago. So mm, More even, actually, almost two months. So it's been a long time. Hugs were cute. And, oh, my God, we are the same person. Jazz, we are always matching we're like morphing into the same person it's a bit weird I feel like we're also sharing brains like (laughs) one of us says something and the other one was thinking exactly that thought or like we both sent each other the same tiktoks and stuff um but we also rocked up basically wearing the same outfit (laughs) yes we both had red nail polish on we both had rings on and we both had like a white long sleeve shirt on so very kind of like european how else like cottage core <laughs> business gal i don't know we so were many. so matchy speaking of cottage core i downloaded the sims cottage core uh Love. like last week i'm obsessed Is you it can have your own little cottage core it's called cottage living mm-hmm. and you can have your own little farm and animals um and the outfits are so cute they have like the um bandana like cottage core headbands gingham dresses so very much up my alley um if anyone's a sims fan you have to download that expansion pack would recommend oh my god it's such a good idea i'm not up to date with all the sims it's expansion packs but i used to have like it a lot so you know the pets the city living the career one and it's all like super rooted in like realism and like almost too close to real life but I love how it's like oh we've got a cottage now so you can live out your fantasies mm-hmm. of living on a farm how is it do you have horses not horses yet cows and llamas and chickens <laughs> a little chicken coop and you can tip the cow not like flip it over oh but you my like, god you like spray money on it you know what I'm doing like like when like, someone's like rich dollar and bills. they're like dollar bills. Yeah, yeah, you can do that to the cow and the cow starts dancing and then their milk is like better apparently. Um, so you can obviously milk the cow, uh, oh. talk to the cow. You make friends with the foxes and chickens. It's very cute. Oh, my God. When you said tip the cow, right, I didn't mean like – I didn't know you meant like a barista tip. I thought you meant like in cars, the movie, when they can like knock mm. over the little sleeping cows. That's hilarious. 
Um, but I'm also glad that it's called Cottage Living, not Cottage Core, because that was like a circa very 2020 trendy term. Um, did you see that bank that used Chugi in an ad, in a print, like, like outdoor advertising ad? Yes. It's like American digital bank, I think, that was like, banks are Chugi. <laughs> I'm like, that makes you chuggy, babe. Sorry. Already using the word chuggy is chuggy. Dude, that like, happened so quickly. <laughs> a week after that, <laughs> it became chuggy. I saw a thing that, like, the girl who invented the term chuggy now hates it. Just like the person who invented gender reveals accidentally re- invented uh, gender reveal parties also hates it. It's so interesting how, like, these internet things take on a life of their own. <laughs> Do you know what that reminded me um, of? I was very cringy when I was younger, like everyone was. But when I was like 12 or 13, I like invented a new word. And, and I thought it was the coolest. I'll tell you what it was. Soskenberger. Oh, like my Like a cool God. way to say sorry. I just cringed so hard. Was it like 2010? <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, I'm experiencing that chuggy cringe now as well. One of our fave pop stars, Billie Eilish, dropped a new album this week. It's titled Happier Than Ever. It's her blonde era. We've spoken about her a few times on the show for various different reasons. Um, What do you think of the album? It's so good. Okay, also, I haven't finished listening to it all yet. Um, With artists I really like, I really like kind of being present and listening to it all um, like one by one and not kind of multitasking. So I've only listened to half of it. What I've listened to, I really like. But what about you? I also haven't listened to the whole thing yet. I'm the same as you. Like it took me weeks to listen to Olivia Rodrigo's album because I like hearing three or four songs and then I get obsessed with them and I listen mm-hmm. to them. And then when I get bored of them, I move on to the others. But what I've heard, I really like. But I do feel a bit bad for Billy because all over TikTok, I've seen these people like shitting on her and this new album saying that you know it's a flop era when she released NDA as a single to be fair I was a bit like oh I don't know if I like this song but you know I wasn't going to write the whole album off but it seems like a lot of people on TikTok did well they're making fun of her saying she's in her flop era but what's interesting is that the critic reviews from like The Guardian, etc., have been really, really positive, saying it's a great second album. But she's kind of seen the TikTok uh, videos now, hasn't she? Yes, and this breaks my heart. So she posted on TikTok um, a little while ago and like it's just front camera selfie, just her, you know, there and the text on screen reads, is it me or is Billy in her flop era? Like why does she suck now? And her caption was, literally all I see on this app, eat my dust, my tits are bigger than yours. Get it. I think it's so mean to do that to a teenager. And the same people who are doing this on TikTok are the same people who would be like, free Britney, like Britney deserves justice. Or like Mm. it was a 10-year anniversary of Amy Winehouse passing away this week. And, you know, like – we haven't learned our lessons that people are doing the same thing, putting this like 16 year old girl on this massive pedestal when she's younger. And then she released a couple albums, like becomes a legal woman, uh, owns her sexuality. You know, she like revealed mm. her 
body more as she's gotten older and now these people the same people and they're young as well they're like teenagers like 20s um are tearing her down i just think it's so mean like why why you can have an opinion on music but to make viral videos or like videos in general like have those i don't know maybe i sound really old here but like have those conversations with your friends or like i don't know i was again i sound so like like a mum, but I was always taught if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. And just because she's a celebrity doesn't make her untouchable. And we can see that by the fact that she's reacting to those mm. videos. Yes, I love your passion. I can feel you seething through the screen. And it's right. I think even when I was a teenager, you know, people take, I don't know, they think it's cool to like, shit on cool like popular things Mm. and I feel like they think that they're just like kind of holier than thou by being like yeah Billy was like so much better when she was underground or whatever and this makes me nervous because you know the internet loved Billy slash loves oh my god I hate that I said that in part past tense but it makes me think of let's say Olivia Rodrigo right now what if when she releases her next album everyone just suddenly turns on her you know I think we and the internet can be so finicky with who we love in a current moment and it's just like so unhealthy and I do feel sorry for people on the receiving end of this yeah even if they're like mega rich and whatever um I also do think it happens a lot more to female pop stars than it does Mm. to men so that's a whole nother conversation um but just like the pressure on such a young person I would not be able to handle that so good on her and like she's kind of addressing it as well she's not like even in that tiktok she posted and actually in the songs that she's released in this album she hasn't shied away from talking about this criticism and comparison culture so for instance the first song on the album we love it's called getting older um we'll play the chorus hopefully we're not copyrighted I I think it's fine because you know under Australia there is a fair use policy so we are journalists who are going to be talking about this so it's fine yes I studied this in uni anyway listen to the lyrics though things I once enjoyed just keep me employed now goodness this is going to be a major theme throughout our episode today because later on you have a great great recommendation about dream jobs and how they aren't always what they're made up to be right we won't spoil it now um but I'm so glad that Billy said that because I think especially with celebrities we think that they should be so grateful for what they've acquired and just be thankful for what you have but I like how she's almost pushing back on that being like you know, even for her, like a celebrity at the top of their game, a musician at the top of her game, that what was once her passion and hobby is also just something that's keeping her employed. Mm. Is that, does it make her art seem less good? How do you feel about that? 
I would actually say I feel more connected to her by her sharing that. I think in so many industries, we're getting this inside look, probably because of social media or just people being more transparent about things like mental health. I don't, I really don't like the saying that if you enjoy what you do, you'll never work a day in your life or whatever it is. Like that. everything that everything is work, not everything's work. I mean, even the best jobs like being a pop star would take mm. so much work, so much emotional. You wouldn't have like a, lo- a normal life. Like that would be your whole identity. And I think if you and I are struggling with like identity versus work, how to separate them, all those things in our twenties, like what would a person who's still a teenager who has like the eyes of the world on her feel? So I like these lyrics. Yes. And it did remind me of this TikTok I watched, which was really random to be on my For You page. I get offended when things are like off brand on my For You page <laughs> because this guy is like super like Mr. LinkedIn girl boss vibes. Like the music playing beneath this sound is called Epic Emotional. So you know what I mean? Like you've got that kind of vibe going mm. on. Um, we'll play it now and it'll be linked in our, um, show notes if you do want to watch it it's like him at like a seminar speaking to people yeah so I don't really like the creator Gary Vaynerchuk's um harsh unempathetic tone but I do like the message he is saying I think it is quite interesting so we'll play it now this year I find like my passion is from losing what happened you woke up and you're like I don't want to do this I don't yeah kind of okay so don't if I burnt out could that be a thing though what is that Here's the thing. Everybody's putting stigmas around things. You might not be burned out. You might have just liked selling homes for a year. Why has everything got to be burnout? Why has everything got to be so intense? Why can't it just be that you had a nice 18-month run selling homes and you're good? We're making everything so heavy these days. Like, why can't that just be she scratched her itch? Right now, we are living in a world where everybody's putting so much judgment on themselves. The culture is beating themselves up. You're not burnt out, you're bored. People are like, oh, I'm just lazy. You're not lazy, you just don't wanna do that fucking thing that you're lazy at. Like, stop beating yourself up. You're not burnt out, you just need to try something else. Have you, like, seen his content before? No, I haven't, so so sorry if he's problematic. Um, I think there's just a lot of conversations around the way he says things are very, like, black and white, and, like, he Mm. doesn't take much into account, like, privileges and stuff. He's kind of just that person who's like, you're so young, you're 20, if you you can become a millionaire, if you just invest. Um, But I do like that video as well. It did make me think. It did make me think about the fact that we can sometimes put ourselves in these boxes and think that we have to stay in those boxes because we've told people we want to be in that box or we Mm. are in that box. Mm. At some point, you change as a person. And in the same way that your romantic relationships or your friendship, you can outgrow those relationships. Maybe you can outgrow a career or a job or something. Yes. And I think it takes such courage to admit that because you almost feel like you're failing or letting down a previous version of yourself. And I think it takes courage to admit that, hey, maybe present time you doesn't have the same dreams or doesn't have the same morals and that you can switch course there. I really like the message he was saying about like, which I hadn't thought about before, but we shouldn't measure work success by longevity. Like it's okay to just want something and just to do it for like a year or whatever. Um, I think we have these conversations when it comes to romantic relationships. It's not just about the length of time someone's being together. That doesn't dictate if a, uh, 
if a relationship is successful or not. So it's kind of cool transferring that to work life. Does remind me of um, a podcast snippet from Flex Mummy um, who talks about enjoyment. And I've tried to think this way a little bit more in terms of like finding simple joys and things and like enjoying the little moments. So we'll play a little bit here. You need to be more focused on enjoyment because like nothing we do is conducive to feeling good. So you have to be so intentional about it. Like this every day, I'm not enjoying living for the weekend, not doing that one. No, it's lazy. It's lazy and you're not helping yourself. So please remember, your body is decaying. The world is (laughs) ending. So you must prioritize satisfaction and enjoyment. Let's slow clap to that. Yes. Gems of wisdom for free. We are just on all the snippets today. We have, we have so many little sound bites, but we have to. I love the part where she's like, your body is decaying. The world is ending. <laughs> like you hated doing that, but here we are. But yeah, even though these snippets we've been playing are revolved around work and career success, it's so interesting to see how these pressures have evolved to encompass our like whole personal lives and identity now, especially through the pillars of social media and wellness. Our bodies and mind have also been commodified and, you know, we, we are our personal brands and we are constantly seeking to increase our own productivity and outputs and yeah, it's scary to see this happen. Yeah, I actually wrote about this for Fashion Journal a few weeks ago in a piece about that girl. I don't know if we've spoken about that girl before on the podcast, but it's basically a TikTok trend at the moment where um, it's usually like slim, wealthy um, white women who are like trying to make their lives more productive. So they get up at 5.30 and you see them making their bed in beautiful linen and they go for a shower and they use like the latest, most expensive uh, body wash and mm. make a healthy smoothie for breakfast and do their Pilates and blah, blah, blah. You get the picture and they're like day one of being that girl. And I do think that it has come about more because of the pandemic as well. Like we couldn't have control in any other aspects of our lives. So we try to control what we can and how do you do that by controlling what you eat controlling what you read controlling what time you get up if they're the only things you can control it gets becomes obsessive that's a really good differentiation that you just made because I was trying to be kind of critical and I'm like there's nothing inherently wrong obviously with like getting up early and making green smoothies and whatever but I think that's the line of obsession and Mm. I guess just doing stuff you know what's like the line between like healthy eating and disordered eating yeah i guess there's a fine line but on that topic of like how we are becoming our own personal brands and like commodifying ourselves um laura pitcher wrote for id in a similar vein to the article i wrote girl boss culture isn't dead it's rebranded as that girl um her piece touches a bit more on capitalism And I really like this quote that she got from someone called Carl Cederstrom, an associate professor at Stockholm University and co-author of The Wellness Syndrome. So in the piece, Laura writes, 
Carl explains that in the wake of girl boss culture, we're seeing a marriage of work and wellness, shifting from work ethic to workout ethic. This, he says, is part of 24-7 capitalism and has been further fueled by social isolation during the pandemic, where the first response for many staying home was to create a rigorous schedule and workout routine. Increasingly, we are taught or socialized into thinking about ourselves as our own corporations, he says. The erosion of the line of private and profession is something you see in these trends because it means the work never ends. The work is your life itself. And I think the fact that Billie Eilish has released that song and is talking about that as well proves that it's like, it is an issue of our times, I think, in the way that we... I mean, you'd know, you must feel this a lot. I think we, again, we've probably spoken about this before, but like you are your brand, like you sell products. Like you literally had an ad up on your Instagram story an hour ago. It must, and even I feel it, like what you putting out to the world is like your brand and what are you trying to achieve? And like, I don't really know what I'm saying, but like, how do you feel about this topic now that you're getting older and you've been doing this for a little while? much better I used to be obsessed with trying to be like I need to be exactly who I am in real life online and I'm like no I don't (laughs) like I really don't um because those are two different things um I exist actually in the real world and I don't really exist online that's just literally a digital footprint of me but what I think is scarier so while I understand that is that quote really kind of freaks me out because I do this stuff and uh, not to this extent. I don't, I don't exercise. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, but I do this stuff regardless of whether it shows up online. Like I've Mm -hmm. just kind of drilled it into my head that I've got to be in some shape or form like that girl. Um, even if it's performing to no one, even if it's just for myself. And I kind of hate that. Like I almost see myself from a third party perspective being like, Oh, Maggie, like, is this? Like, oh, like you should do some reading because that's good for blah, blah, blah. Or like you should whatever, put on a cute mm-hmm. outfit. Even if it's, even if it's, I don't know, it's so weird. I don't know if it's, if I want to do this or if it's like society telling me this, it's hard to kind of wrap my head around. Yeah. It's like we move from the male gaze, like doing things for the male gaze to doing things for like the TikTok gaze. And ah! are we being productive enough for the other girls on TikTok basically? Oh my God. Yeah. Love that take. I mean, I talk about it more in my fashion journal article. Self-promo, speaking of making yourself a brand, the link is in our show notes. <laughs> no, but seriously, we will link it in our show notes, so do give it a read. Working in retail is a very rare form of torture and friendship building. One minute you'll clean up vomit in aisle seven, a regular occurrence for me because I worked at Toys R Us, and the next minute the co-worker you barely know will tell you one too many intimate details about their life. Jenny Zhao, Molly Daniels, and Gabby Xiao know it best. With 22 years of combined retail experience, RIP, They've teamed up with Screen Australia and YouTube and have created a fun, silly, and super relatable short web series for all of us to enjoy for free. We'll play a mini teaser here. Welcome to Celebration Nation, where every day is a celebration. The counter! Catch me at the counter. How about that? Everyone stay calm. Stay calm! The customer is always right. 
This honestly had me snorting out loud. The production is quality and the eps are long enough to hold my TikTok addicted attention span. The six episode series follows anxious manager Mimi, horny for holidays Alice and lazy dad Shay who work at a deeply average suburban party store. And each six to eight minute episode is based around a holiday like Valentine's Day, Halloween and Lunar New Year. In true Culture Club fashion, these gals are making sure that Australia's media industry is as inclusive and gender diverse as possible. They're proud to announce that they didn't have more than three cis white straight men on set at any time throughout their production. Woo! And the best news is that it's free to watch on YouTube. Head to our show notes for a direct link. Happy watching! Levitating by Dua Lipa featuring DaBaby has been stuck in my head for a good year now, but it looks like I'm going to have to learn the lyrics to the solo version of the song, as this week, rapper DaBaby, whose real name is Jonathan Lindell Kirk, made homophobic remarks on stage at the Rolling Loud Miami Festival. We'll quote the lyrics here, but adding a content warning for homophobic language. You said lyrics. Oh, right, 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 sorry. Oh, good. I was like, what song is this? <laughs> Yo. <laughs> Ladies, if you put this around like water. <laughs> Can we actually keep this in? I can't do I want to hear jazz rap on the pod. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway. So we'll quote the remarks here, but we'll add a content warning here for homophobic language. If you didn't show up today with HIV, AIDS, or any of them deadly sexually transmitted diseases that'll make you die in two to three weeks, then put your cell phone lighter up. Ladies, if your pussy smell like water, put your cell phone lighter up. Fellas, if you ain't sucking dick in the parking lot, put your cell phone lighter up. Okay, so it's hard to believe that these words and this ignorance were said in 2021, but here we are. Yeah, so the backlash was swift. Pop star Dua Lipa had to issue a statement on Instagram um, stories, and this is what it read. I really don't recognize this as the person I worked with. I know my fans know where my heart lies and that I stand 100% with the LGBTQ community. We need to come together to fight the stigma and ignorance around HIV and AIDS. Rock legend and HIV activist Elton John also made a Twitter thread explaining the inaccuracies in DeBaby's words. We've been shocked to read about the HIV misinformation and homophobic statements made at a recent DeBaby show. This fuels stigma and discrimination and is the opposite of what our world needs to fight the AIDS epidemic. Elton goes on to explain some stats and facts and says... Homophobic and HIV mistruths have no place in our society and industry and as musicians. We must spread compassion and love for the most marginalized people in our communities. A musician's job is to bring people back together. It's a powerful last statement as well. So it's interesting to also see that fast fashion retailer Boohoo Man dropped a baby saying, Boohoo Man condemned the use of homophobic language and confirmed we will no longer be working with the baby. Diversity and inclusion are part of the Boohoo group's DNA. Lol. Sorry, Maggie interjection. Continuing the quote. And we pride ourselves on representing the diverse customers we serve across the globe. 
I also think it's important to note that not only did baby say homophobic remarks, but he also brought Tori Lanez on stage. Tori Lanez is the rapper accused of oh, shooting yeah. Megan Thee Stallion in the foot. She has a restraining order against him. She was also playing that festival apparently. Um, so he disrespected Megan as well by bringing on her assaulter on stage with him. So just like shit behavior all around. After the first bit of backlash, baby also took to Instagram stories. Have to put a strong language warning here. All the lights went up, gay or straight, he said. You want to know why? Because even my gay fans don't got fucking AIDS. My gay fans, they take care of themselves. See what I'm saying? They ain't no junkies. What me and my fans do at the live show, it don't concern you, N-word, on the internet, or you bitter bitches on the internet. Are we the bitter bitches? (laughs) I kind of love that phrase, bitter bitches on the internet. (laughs) That's our new branding. But he also didn't stop there because the backlash didn't stop. You know, he was getting dropped by Boohoo Man and sponsors and bloody Elton John. And he said, anybody who done ever been affected by AIDS, HIV, you've got the right to be upset. What I said was insensitive, even though I have no intentions on offending anybody. So my apologies. But the LGBT community... I ain't tripping on y'all, do you. Your business is your business. Oh. Okay. Can where is his publicist? Like this is out of control. Like, Literally. Lot, like if I was his publicist, I would disable all his social media accounts. I'd be like, oh sorry, change passwords. Like this is ridiculous <laughs> and just terrible for his branding. Like honestly, I mean that sounds terrible, but even if he doesn't care about if his words offend people, it's like look what's happening around you. But it's also interesting that just a few days later, the rapper released the video for his new single, which is very catchy, by the way. I had to watch it for research purposes. I won't be giving him money and listening anymore, but it was catchy. Um, It's called Giving What It's Supposed to Give. And he references AIDS again. He says, bitch, we like AIDS. I'm on your... (laughs) What? (laughs) Should I start rapping? Yeah. Bitch, we like AIDS. I'm on your ass we on your ass bitch we don't go away he also holds up a sign that says aids but at the end of the video writes don't fight hate with hate in rainbow colors and there's a slogan that says my apologies for being me the same way you want the freedom to be you i don't know what that means um obviously using rainbow colors like what is he trying to say here also he's seen receiving oral sex twice in the video, like very explicitly, um, which he just said in his like homophobic rant was yeah. dirty. Like, I don't, what is going on? I'm very glad that I am out of the loop with this pop culture moment. And I like really didn't know who he was. Yes. I do know his rap in like Dua Lipa, but that's about it. Um, but yeah, terrible to see this happen and terrible. I think to see how he's responded. And also he's not like, a teenager or early 20-something. He's got to be 30 this year. Um, but even then, age doesn't matter. Like just last week we were talking about what amazing things Little Nas X has done in the rap world. But anyway, we could talk about what ridiculous things celebrities have said all episode long if we wanted to, but I feel like this is important because it shows the stigma that still exists around the HIV and AIDS crisis. 
Obviously, we are too young to remember the AIDS crisis firsthand, but I know from speaking with older people in the queer community that that stigma still hangs over them and affects so many people. Um, For example, in Australia, there was the ad, I don't know if you remember, if you studied it in uni or whatever, um, a health ad where the Grim Reaper came along and he like threw a bowling ball down an alley um, and it was meant to scare people off. AIDS and it was kind of saying like it can get you anytime anywhere so you know those stigmas are still around and with people and rappers in 2021 saying things like that to a packed out festival is just not Mm. on especially because more than 70 million men women and children have been infected with HIV worldwide and 35 million people have died so that's half it's really disappointing to see the baby spout all this like misinformation because HIV is not a gay disease and this shows how important queer history and proper sex education is for society. What have you been loving, reading, watching, listening to this week, Maggie? Yeah, so it's been a massive week because Refinery29 Australia has officially launched. Um, so it's been really great being able to go through and read all these fabulous contributor pieces, including yours, Jasmine. Bloody love it. Thank you. Just keep talking about all your pieces of writing in this episode. <laughs> um, but one I also really loved is by Isabel Truman, who many listeners, I'm sure, know from the podcast After Work Drinks. And this piece is called Eat the Rich, It'll Cost You, How Anti-Capitalism Has Been Sold Back to Us. So I adore this great sprawling piece. I think it's about 2,000 words long. It's an interesting interrogation of how anti-capitalism rhetoric has been commodified as clout online. It explores a lot of the inner conflict, hypocrisy and tension that's exacerbated by online activism. She begins the piece by chatting to Laura Pitcher, who we talked about before um, she wrote the ID piece who says that dating apps and pickup lines now revolve around being on the same page about capitalism and jokes about Jeff Bezos. I've asked Izzy to read some of the piece now. I've pulled paragraphs from various parts of it, so I'd encourage you to read the whole thing, but here are like my favourite parts. On TikTok, teens are hearing about Marxist theory amid easy-to-replicate dances. On Instagram, it's memes. In mid-2020, cute pastel infographics about billionaires started going viral, sharing stats such as the fact that 650 people in the US got around 1.2 trillion richer during the pandemic. You could be forgiven for wondering if some people of clout are using post-June 2020 progressive anti-capitalist language and rhetoric to boost their followers and sell themselves, effectively capitalising off anti-capitalism. Beyond Instagram, there's more anti-capitalist literature on the market than anyone could read in a lifetime. And if you're too busy to read, there's always anti-capitalist merch. Progressive Congresswoman Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez recently released a line of t-shirts, including one which reads, Tax the Rich. They cost $78. On Instagram, one of the most popular ways to make positive social change is to support small business and be a patron of brands and products that quote-unquote stand for something. Buying power is increasingly becoming central to activism and online discussions. The stark contrast to what we're saying online versus how we're living in reality has been pointed out on social media. As one Twitter user put it, Eat the Rich tweeted from an iPhone 12 from their five-bedroom house with three cars in the driveway in the middle of central London. Another posted, 
Eat the Rich, Jeff Bezos is the villain, accompanied by a screenshot of a stat revealing Amazon Prime has over 200 million subscribers, 140 million of which are based in the US. So Izzy interviews New York-based Bobo Machila, who people probably also know from Bobo and Flex podcast, who has some stellar points and quotes. So I love this one. There are two ways of being anti-capitalist, and unfortunately, most people are anti-capitalist in theory, but not experientially. Ooh, what do you think about that? I agree with that, but I do also agree that it's very hard to be anti-capitalist in a capitalist society. Oh my God, we're so like indoctrinated. It's all we've ever known. Like, how is there an alternative when we can't really imagine? We can't really imagine an alternative. But I did really enjoy Isabel's piece. I feel like it covered so many different topics and pulled them together really nicely. I love when people can like get something from, you know, an internet conversation and then turn it into this big theory about like how we live nowadays. But I also found, I also like the part where she was saying how quickly this has come about. Like, again, it really has been like the pandemic has been exacerbating it. A couple, like she says in the piece, a couple of years ago, you could just post pictures of designer bags and like these lavish lifestyles. But now, if you're not saying anything at all, or you're kind of just like not thinking about what you're putting out there, people can see through it and that people are sick of it. So, yeah, fascinating piece and such a great way for Refinery29 Australia to start. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I know I got easy to read out heaps, but I want to read out another paragraph because (laughs) you reminded me when you're talking about how we, we are so indoctrinated. So this is what she says. Capitalist realism is a term British philosopher Mark Fisher came up with to describe the widespread notion of the inevitability of capitalism. We might not like it, but we're in so deep that the majority of us now think there's no alternative to it. As writer Haley Narman wrote in her newsletter, Maybe Baby, we simply accept it the way five-year-olds accept the existence of the tooth fairy. We accept the competitive job market and the concept of unemployment. We accept the 40-hour work week and the existence of billionaires. We become so inured to the strictures of capitalism, we forget that all up for debate. It's such a deep article. Like it really oh, just God. makes me think about everything and like what we're doing. <laughs> I know. But it's amazing. Alrighty. So what would you like to recommend this week, Jasmine? So I'm recommending a piece that I read about a month ago and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it since. Like it just pops into my head every now and then. And it's called Why I Don't Think There's Such a Thing as a Dream Job Anymore by Genevieve Phelan for Fashion Journal. So this is a personal essay by our friend and Fashion Journal's lifestyle and careers columnist, Jen, and explores how despite having big dreams as a young child and teenager, her goal of learning that one dream job is fading. So as we spoke about in the earlier segment, it does feel like COVID has exacerbated these feelings for a lot of us. And so I asked Jen if she could read a bit of her piece out. It starts with Jen saying that she wrote down her dream job of being editor of Vogue in a time capsule at age 12. I connect myself so intrinsically to the work I do and consider it a really big part of who I am. I still also doubt my work all of the time and make mistakes. But what I used to think would bring me happiness, insert glamour, prestigious titles, high-profile affiliation, big buildings, launch parties, fancy dress every day and huge work teams, 
doesn't really align at all with what I care about now. I want to, and do already, work intimately with purpose-driven, local, female-facing, meaningful brands and publications. I want to face people intimately deconstructing their why and thinking human-centrically about their how. In all honesty, I really just want to go sweat to house music at United Ride at 7.15am on a weekday without having to bring a carry-on work clothes bag with me. I've loved the jobs I've been lucky enough to land and owe everything I can do now to them and their people. They were vastly more helpful than my comms degree and pumped me up with the skills to go out and start giving things a crack all on my own. But what's really better, a higher paying, high profile and high stress job or a lesser paying, less glitzy, more rewarding job? I know the answer to that is totally circumstantial and dependent on the person. When I wrote down that cocky dream job before I'd even got my first period, I genuinely believed that if a genie granted me one wish to be whatever I could be in this world, it would have been at a glossy magazine HQ, when the realities of its inner workings were unknown to me. Or Katrina Roundtree on Getaway. I often think of a few local women like Annie Carroll, a Melbourne comps consultant for clever, ethical and purposeful brands, and Ash Davidson, master of content creation for the likes of skincare giant Ultraviolet, and wonder what they would have written down in their time capsule under Dream Job. I think maybe diversity in what we're doing and an emphasis on putting drive behind what we do for ourselves and for others is more important than the notion of one be-all and end-all career mission. Because once you reach the dream and it's not all that it's cracked up to be, then what? I'm not writing this to say your end game and everything you've worked hard for is defunct and unattainable. I am suggesting, however, that we all start to imagine more than just one title for ourselves. We are changing creatures capable of wild transformation. Think of the dream as a moving, morphing continuum. Instead of a destination likely to reek of disenchantment, perhaps we can embrace our career goals as ever-evolving extensions of who we are and what drives us. What work will truly make you happy when frills, societal expectations and external pressures are stripped away? Yeah, I mean, this is such a reoccurring theme for today's episode, but just, I guess, about the the lies we're told about careers and dreams, I guess. Um, so I am so glad that Jenna's put this into words and, yeah, I really like this piece as well. Thanks everyone for reading out so much of their pieces today. So many, and thanks to our editor India for uh, piecing it all together. And we hope that you enjoyed this episode. It's been a bit of an existential crisis episode, but we love these convos. And yeah, feel free to jump in our DMs with any thoughts you have as well. And yes, thanks again to Comedy Web Series Celebration Nation for sponsoring this episode. Watch it for free now by searching the title or Jenny Zhao into YouTube or simply click the link in our show notes. You can also follow the team on Instagram at at Celebration Nation Series. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.